Good day, my fellow Americans. At this time, I would like to ask you if you are able to stand for our national anthem. West Wing, West Wing, Rob Lowe is on West Wing, Moira Kelly to Hill, Allison Jenny, Richard Schiff, John Spencer. Bradley Whitford, Martin Sheen on West Wing. West Wing. Thank you all. You may be seated. <laughs> oh, God. Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, where we're going to get the names of the damn commandments right. I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And this week we are taking a little detour from our regularly scheduled programming to talk about the pilot episode of Aaron Sorkin's The West Wing. Yay! <laughs> yeah, guys, you usually hear us talk about films, but uh, we're going to try a little stint to television here today. Um, as you all know, tomorrow is a momentous day. It is November 3rd, the general election. Guys, hopefully you've already done your uh, civic duty, and uh, hopefully that vote is well on its way to being counted. Those of you who plan to vote tomorrow, we're praying for you. We're praying for you, 100%. So we thought we'd mark this momentous occasion with a little trip down some uh, political fan fiction. Okay, (laughs) sure. Hey, listen to me. I get it, man. This is a show a lot of us have rediscovered in this trying time. Like, can I offer you a West Wing in this trying time? Always. You always can. Before we get started, don't forget, go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at kickingandstreamingpodcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, in this voting season, practice the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet. I highly recommend you stick around for today's discussion mm-hmm. because Ross is one, is our little resident scholar. Oh, you're too kind. <laughs> oh, you're too kind. And I, my level of interest in the West Wing is a little more casual. So I think we're going to have a good conversation and hopefully we can give y'all a, a, a little bit of escapism today. So you ready to get into it? I am. We've got a situation. It is the highest level of office. It's the world capital of politics. Where the decisions made affect an entire nation. Terrible choices have had to be made in this room. Watch the brightest minds as they tackle a nation's biggest issues. They're coming after us. We might want to fight, we just gotta find out what it is first. I tried is no longer an option. You started this thing, and you're gonna damn well finish it. I'm the one who's accountable. Mr. President, a victory like this comes along once in a generation. We're gonna have to make a call. Democracy in action, you gotta love it. The West Wing. Guys, this series, I got into it, I think, in high school, and I think it just really, it gives me sanity. 
quite honestly. I'm glad I got to enjoy West Wing one time around before the era of Trump because I got to enjoy it for what it is and now I get to enjoy it for what it gives to me. Right. Which is sanity. Even though I know it's all fiction, it gives me a good dramatization of what a working administration looks like. You want to talk about Aaron Sorkin with me for a second? Let's talk about Aaron Sorkin. So Aaron Sorkin is a writer-director whose, you know, talent is maybe as speckled across your film-viewing lexicon. I don't know. It depends on your taste in film. But if you're a good old lover of a political drama like I am, you're going to like Aaron Sorkin. Another Aaron Sorkin TV series that I very much like is The Newsroom. And that's got... uh, That's got Grandpa Sam in it. Yeah. Yeah, it's got Sam Waters in it. It's funny because The West Wing has Martin Sheen and Lily Tomlin Mm -hmm. and then the newsroom has Jane Fonda and Sam Watterson (laughs) and they're all four in Grace and Frankie it's just great I just I love it The, the Sorkin talent pool is immense Aaron Sorkin is notable for other projects such as A Few Good Men. He actually wrote the original stage play, A Few Good Men, which then got adapted into the famous film. I think I'm entitled. You want answers. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. You can't handle the truth. Yeah, that's Aaron Sorkin wrote that. That's so crazy. He he wrote You Can't Handle the Truth. Like People use that all the time and they have no idea where it comes from. He also was involved in projects such as Moneyball. Oh, uh, God. That was in, like, 2011 when that came <laughs> that out. a long time ago. The Social Network. Mm. Yeah, I know. They're not all gems. They're not all gems, but I love it. <laughs> and he's also the writer-director of a film called The American President, which is where uh, West Wing kind of gets its roots from. Uh, the American President came out in 1995, It details the fictitious Democratic administration of Michael Douglas. (laughs) Yeah, Mike Douglas is the, plays the president of the United States, uh, Andrew Shepard. Oh, God. I know. What a presidential name. And uh, I guess it's about his fleeting romance with uh, Annette Bening, (laughs) who's like a lobbyist that he falls in love with or something. Meow? Question mark? I like Annette Bening. Annette Bening is in a lot of things. She sure is. And nobody ever gives her enough credit for just how many things she's in. Um, it's got guess you get it's got Martin Sheen in it. He oh play, my Martin God. Sheen plays Leo in oh. the American President. Well, the the chief of staff. Oh, okay. Yes. So West Wing first aired in 1999 on September 22nd, 1999. The West Wing chronicles the life and work of Democratic President Josiah Bartlett of New Hampshire. My president. My president, Josiah Bartlett. I don't know how you get his nickname, Jed. Like, I think it's because his name is Josiah Edward Bartlett. J-Ed. And the J- Yeah, like Jed, J. Ed Bartlett. Yeah. The American presidency is offered, I think, its proper respect in the West Wing as a whole. And I think that's something we need to focus on and examine because it's so important to the integrity of our country. And we have none, have had none for quite some time. Yeah. So it, it, it's, it's going to be one of those episodes, guys. The West Wing is ranked as one of the best television shows of all time. Yeah, I, I, could, I get it. I mean, it's it's it, it's in the top 100 best written series of all time. It does have some of the best dialogue I've ever heard. Like, Carrie Ann says, tell them what you think about what the West Wing is good for and times to watch it. It's good background for you, isn't it? It's good background for me. Like, it, it's it's kind of like with uh, where SVU is in my television plane, where I can leave it on in the background and still retain most of what's going on. Do you kind of think that it's 
It could almost be a radio show. It could almost be a radio show. Like everybody's has such a unique personality. They do all kind of talk the same, like very rapid fire and always on the ball. Everybody's always got the best comeback for everything. You yeah. know what I mean? Because it's Aaron Sorkin. It's Aaron Sorkin. And, and he's like he he is like the I don't know, the Socrates of political reads. Oh, God. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, no, I don't at all, but it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Okay. Like, I miss some of the finer political points when I'm just listening to it, but I can't understand those things when I'm listening anyway. So it, it's good. It's still good entertainment. Almost 30 primetime Emmys. That's a lot. That is a lot. Uh, most notably, I mean, Allison Janney won consistently for her portrayal of C.J. Craig on The West Wing. She's the best character. She, arguably, <laughs> she's my favorite character, but Leo is arguably the best character. All right. Just in my opinion. In that case, we should probably start talking about these characters. Okay, let's, let's, uh, we've got names. We have got names. Firstly, we have Martin Sheen. Uh, Martin Sheen. Martin, Martin Sheen. Sheen. That's President Kennedy, you idiot. Was that different? I mean, he played Kennedy once. Did he? He did. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that segue. No. <laughs> Martin Sheen is here, y'all. Some of you might be recently familiar with him on Grace and Frankie, like we said. <laughs> I love I love him in Grace and Frankie. I know. That is I love a- him in about anything. You might know him as Emilio Estevez's dad. <laughs> And Charlie Sheen's dad. Sometimes I can't believe those two fruits fell from the same tree. How are they from the same man? (laughs) You know Martin Sheen from things like Apocalypse Now. Oh, God. I know. It's a hard movie. It is a hard movie to watch. It's got Robert Duvall in it. It was a hard movie on Marty. Was it? He was a young man when they did that movie. He had a heart attack. Really? Yeah. I didn't, I, you know what, I think I knew that, but you just reminded me, wow. Like, he's a short man, but do not underestimate him. She doesn't appear in this episode, but she's so worth mentioning. As First Lady Abigail Barrington Bartlett, we have Stockard Channing. Stockard Channing, who just continues to look flawless. You know, when she played Betty Rizzo in Greece, she was like... 37, something like that. I think she was 38 years old. Yeah, and playing a, playing an 18-year-old. And it came off well, didn't it? We all bought it. We bought it. Like, <laughs> Look, line, and sinker. You never would have believed it. And you know, to me, she looks like she's exactly the same age. I know. In this, and I'm like... This is her second kicking and streaming appearance. She was in Tu Wong Fu. Oh, yes, she was our lovely Carol Ann. I love Stockard Channing. I love her. I know. I love that so much. Um, As White House Chief of Staff, Leo T. McGarry, we have John Spencer. You know John Spencer from John Spencer Things. (laughs) Oh, he's in that movie War Games. Oh, is that the one? With Matthew Broderick and Ali Sheedy. That's right, where he, like, stops the end of the world by playing video games. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah, right. I think the West Wing is John Spencer's biggest thing. Yeah. He was a child actor. Was he really? He was a cute kid, too, back in the 50s or whatever. <laughs> We have his White House Deputy Chief of Staff, Joshua Lyman. That's what his position is. Bradley Whitford. Bradley Whitford, you know from Handmaid's Tale, Get Out. Oh my God, him and Get Out. Just knowing him as a person. Yeah. It's, listen to me. I know Bradley, guys. We just had coffee this morning. (laughs) No. No, like, 
just him as an actor, knowing who he is, what he stands for, it's just captivating to watch him play an immortal racist. I know. <laughs> he's, a, he's a bleeding heart liberal, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. 100%. <laughs> he's in Ross's least favorite movie, Cabin in the Woods. Okay. It's not my least favorite movie, but like, that has come up before, hasn't it? Yeah, it sure has. He's in Billy Madison. I've never seen Billy Madison. You don't necessarily need to. As White House Communications Director, Richard Schiff. I love Richard Schiff. I I don't know him from anything else. I actually do listen to a West Wing podcast sometimes, and he's a frequent guest on that podcast. He's so funny and smart. I know he was just the he was just the right actor to play Toby. And like, I also feel some you know. It's because you are Toby. I am. Shut up. That's why you like Toby. I don't want to be Toby. No, Toby is your prickly side, and you have a big prickly side. <laughs> As White House Press Secretary, we have Academy Award winner, Allison Janney. Arguably one of the most famous people on this show. Yeah, I know, right? Like, she's still working, she's still winning awards, she's still being fabulous. Allison Janney is all over my film viewing lexicon. That's because you're in love with her. I, I am. She's she's one of my many uh, film and TV girlfriends. <laughs> she's in. She was in Juno. She was Brenda in Juno. Oh, dream big. Oh, go fly a kite. Oh, Lord. I mean, she was in The Hours. She's in Hairspray. She's in The Help. She's in that. She's in Juno Part 2, which I call Tallulah. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. That movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, come on. It's like a continuation, practically. She's also Peach in Finding Nemo. That's right. I said we got a live one. Root Canal. From the looks of it, it's not going to be pretty. I can't wait to do Finding Nemo. I know. It'll be a good one to cover. Okay, we have got, as White House Deputy Communications Director, Samuel Seaborn, Rob Lowe. I... <laughs> Do you have feelings for Sam? I have feelings for Sam. I have feelings for Rob Lowe. L- Rob Lowe. <laughs> Honey, I love you. Call me. Rob Lowe from the 80s? <laughs> yes. No, 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 no. Yeah, remember you were telling Dad that you were starting to watch Parks and Rec, and you were like, Dad, Rob Lowe is on it. You might like it. He goes, Rob Lowe. From the 80s? <laughs> yeah. Yes, Rob Lowe from the 80s. We know him from things such as The Outsiders, Class, Hotel New Hampshire, Oxford Blues, St. Elmo's Fire. Oh, St. Elmo's Fire. His yeah. Brat Pack film. I mean, again, his character is such an awful human being, but he's so attractive. And in television, of course, West Wing and Parks and Recreation. I love my little West Wing Parks and Rec fan theory that because Sam, Sam leaves after season four. Sorry, spoiler. <laughs> now for 20 years, but like whatever. You know, he leaves in season four, has a mental breakdown because that election does not go well for him. And then just starts a whole new life as Chris Traeger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's why he's always that's why he's always introducing himself. It's like he has to remind himself. Chris Traeger. Exactly. And Perkins. <laughs> Sam Seaborn. Leslie Nope. <laughs> <laughs> He's oh like, God. this is everyone in my new life that I've created for myself. We have, as personal aide to the president, Charles Young, Mr. Dulé Hill. Ah, yes, y'all will know him from Holes. I can fix that. I can fix that. Absolutely. I've seen him on Law & Order before, I'm pretty sure. He's in She's All That. That's right, that's right. <laughs> Psych. Oh, that's right, He's on Psych. I forgot, I had a boyfriend that liked Psych. I did not like Psych. We have, as personal assistant to the Deputy Chief of Staff, Josh Lyman. Donatella Moss. Donatella Moss, played by Janelle Maloney. <laughs> I only, the only other thing I've ever seen Janelle Maloney on is an episode of House, and that's the one where she had breast cancer behind her knee. 
She had like a full on titty, like growing behind her knee. Oh my God. <laughs> you go, Janelle. I love it. <laughs> and then we have Moira Kelly, who appears for one season. She's the character that just disappears and never and never comes back. Most shows have at least one. Plays uh, Mandy Hampton. I don't know how you get Mandy from Madeline, because that's her actual name, but I guess you do. Her name's not Amanda? No. Oh my god. I know, it's stupid. She's she's the White House media consultant. The only other place I've ever heard her is in The Lion King. She's the voice of Nala. She's Nala, guys, and it's pretty obvious from the get-go. You're just like, (laughs) that's Nala. I haven't heard that name since 1994. Oh my goodness. And guys, just real quick, I'm going to go through them real quick. I'm just going to list them. <laughs> just some of the other great names that appear throughout the series. Yeah. Like there's, you know, we've got Josh Molina, obviously, Jimmy Smith, Alan Alda, uh, Kristen Chenoweth is on for a stint. There's Lily Tomlin, Oliver Platt, John Laroquette, Matthew Perry, uh, Jesse Bradford, Emily Proctor. That's Ainsley Hayes. We love her. Anna Devere Smith, uh, John Amos, Gerald McRaney, Mark Harmon, Tay Diggs. Like the list goes on and on and on. All right. Are you ready to jump into the content finally after oh, half an hour God. of me speaking? <laughs> Every time you go into a West Wing episode, it's the drums and the American flag banner. Is that what primes you? <laughs> We open in a bar with White House Deputy Communications Director Sam Seaborn. We're in Washington. He is trying to get a journalist to piss all the way off. Billy! (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Billy's pressing him for information about goings-on in the White House, and Sam cannot be bothered. Who do I call? No one. Just tell me who to call. Oh, you could call 1-800-BITE-ME, Sam. He's not going anywhere, Billy. It's a non-story. Okay. You're lying now, aren't you? That hurts, Billy. Why would I lie to a journalist of all people? I love Sam. Sam is a deer. Yeah. He, he is a small bean who, who <laughs> wants to use his gift with words to make the world better. And it doesn't hurt at all that he's played by the eternally gorgeous Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe is got range. He's got range. That's my opinion. Chris Traeger is one of my favorite TV characters. But then I think about St. Elmo's Fire. I know. After thinking about Chris Traeger and I'm like, mm, doesn't he play a guy named Billy? Insane yeah. almost fire. Yeah, he does. Oh, and he's garbage. He's he is. such garbage. Hot garbage. So Sam notices Dr. Cuddy. <laughs> Lisa Edelstein. Lisa Edelstein, folks. Her name is Lori. Lori is, well. <laughs> Do we'll you want to? We'll get there later. You don't want to tell them now? No. Okay. You're well, right. It'll be funnier later. Lori is cute and young and in a black dress, giving him eyes. Yeah, she is checking him out. Why do you keep looking over my shoulder? Why? Yes. Because Alger Hiss just walked in with my secret pumpkin. What? There's a woman over there. I think she's looking at me. Really? I don't know. I never know if they're looking or not. Yeah, I think she was. I want to thank you for the casual way that you did that just now. So we cut to the morning. Um, Leo's house is too big. Yeah, he does live in a very big house. It's a very, very nice, large home. We meet White House Chief of Staff, Leo McGarry. He's angry this morning about the New York Times crossword (laughs) puzzle. 
I love this about Leo. He does the New York Times crossword puzzle every day, and like he's always calling them with corrections. Yeah. 17 across is wrong. It's just wrong. You believe that, Ruth? You should call them. I will call them. Leo is a grumpy old fuck who's never afraid to hurt your feelings to get shit done. Really not. And like, he's I, got a government to run. Exactly. I love him. Like, yeah, the president runs the government, air quote, but like, <laughs> he's the head of state and head of government. The White House chief of staff does everything. He calls a lot of shots. He gets a page from POTUS. Telephone, Leo. I'm in the shower. It's POTUS. They're doing this narrative thing I don't understand where we're not explaining what POTUS is or the fact that any of these people work for the president, even though we know what the premise of the show is. It's called leading up to something. I. <laughs> it's called building the tension. So if you would just be patient. No, you cannot eat the pizza right now. It just came out of the oven. Like, it's just, it's not a secret. These folks all work in the White House. It's like, this is the West Wing, not the wire. Okay, well, if you were a first time viewer. I would have known that this was a show about the White, the White House. House isn't a dead giveaway. <laughs> we cut to Claudia Jean Craig, Miss C.J. Craig, White House press secretary, in her um, morning time. This is, see, this time of the morning, this is my time. <laughs> She's jogging on the treadmill next to this dude. 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. I can work out, as you see. I can think about personal matters. I can meet an interesting man. <laughs> I have between 5 and 6 a.m. I could not be a White House staffer. That is ridiculous. She has to get up at 5.30 in the morning. I know. To the, have some personal time. The news starts early. I mean, it's just, I mean, yeah, and that's the other thing. You have to deal with the press in her job. You could basically call the White House press secretary the federal government spokesperson. Yeah. Like, the White House press secretary is one of the most visible faces in the federal government. Not so much nowadays. <laughs> Because we can't hold on to a press secretary if we fucking tried. They made asses out of themselves. So bad. So bad. Sean Spicer? That should be a stand-up act. It it's, really should. It's already an SNL skit. It is. Speaking of making an ass of themselves. Josh Lyman? No. <laughs> Next we meet White House Deputy Chief of Staff Josh Lyman. He's Leo's number two. I understand, but they're never going to make it to our territorial water. Thank you. What if the DEA suspected they had drugs? Does the DEA suspect they were drugs? You make a phone call. Josh. If the DEA or Navy Intel thought the Cubans were bringing in drugs, wouldn't we have to go out there and search those rafts with, you know, guns and blankets? Ross, tell us a little bit about Josh. Josh's job is basically to do all of the, um, Everything let's say that Leo handles big picture stuff and Josh handles a little more of the day to day. That sounds a whole lot like Josh does everything Leo doesn't want to do. Yeah, but <laughs> Leo has so many things important to do that Josh picks up the slack. Now we're on a plane and we meet White House Communications Director Toby Ziegler. Tobias Ziegler. <laughs> I have a love-hate relationship with Toby. Toby's, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> you hate Toby immediately and you'll learn to love him if you decide to watch the series. Because um, he's being a dick to the stewardess. Exactly. Like, we're, we're arriving back to Washington on a plane and Toby gets the page. A message was just patched up to the cockpit for you. I'm not sure I've got it right. POTUS in a bicycle accident? You got it right. And he starts trying to use the phone. And the lady's like, you can't use your phone. We're trying to land. We're trying to land. He's being a complete dick to this flight attendant. We're flying in a Lockheed Eagle Series L-1011. Came off the line 20 months ago. Carries a SIM-5 transponder tracking system. Are you telling me I can still flummox this thing with something I bought at Radio Shack? Toby is just a smug, 
elitist, <laughs> complete dick. Like, like, and he never got his peanuts. <laughs> yeah, no, he never got his peanuts. So we then learned that Sam went home with Lori. Oh yeah, he spent the night with Dr. Cuddy. We're smoking pot. Yeah, she's it's the first ten minutes, and we're smoking pot. <laughs> it's five thirty in the morning. She's already stoned. All the while, Sam is just getting ready for work, and he gets a page while he's in the shower. But she picks up the pager because she thinks it's her pager, right? These things look exactly alike. Like, I get it, Aaron. This is going to be a gaffe later. I got it. Sam says he has to go, but he wants to call her. She hands him his page and he goes, Tell your friend POTUS he's got a funny name and he should learn how to ride a bicycle. I would, but he's not my friend. He's my boss. It's not his name. It's his title. POTUS? President of the United States. I'll call you. I love that moment. (laughs) Yeah, because if you weren't already aware, we're watching a television show about the White House and its staff. (laughs) And into the West Wing we go. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We follow Leo McGarry into the White House. And I, I had a question for you right off the bat. Yeah. Which is, how does this set? measure up to the actual White House in terms of accuracy. Here's the thing. If you look at it, you can if you can Google it right now, you can look up floor plan of the West Wing. And it is not dead on balls accurate, but <laughs> as Marissa Tomei would say, but it is around that. There's like a little bullpen area where everybody's cubicles are. Yeah, like the exterior the exterior construction of the West Wing on the set is pretty good, pretty pretty accurate. Just in terms of, you know, like where the Oval Office is and where the press colonnade is and the Northwest entrance and the main entrance. They do do a pretty good job. They do be do. They do be do be do be do. And, um, but the interior, they've, I think they've taken a lot of license with. I love the West Wing set in the fact that it is staged to look like you're on stage. Like the annoying spotlights in the hallways. Yeah. That illuminate you as you go down. The, 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 the color scheme is just, it's very dark. A lot of these scenes I feel like are shot in darkness. Lots of brown, lots of red, lots of. Orange. Yeah. Yeah. Earth tones. This is very. Very earthy tones. We follow Leo through the office and we meet Donna Moss, Josh's admin. Personal assistant. Don't call her a personal assistant. She is a White House personal assistant. I don't care. She's his fucking admin. Like, she deserves so much respect. She has to deal with Josh on a day-to-day basis. And, like, it's she... It's gonna be an unbearable day. It's gonna be, yeah. <laughs> Says Donna. She's always like, it's always gonna... It's gonna be an unbearable day. And it's just like, put some goddamn respect the in... The dairy farm girl. <laughs> put some goddamn respect in your mouth. She's from Wisconsin. <laughs> We love Wisconsin. It almost killed us. I have a bad experience with Wisconsin. We almost got frostbite, but it's okay. For Lana Del Rey, of all people. (laughs) This is also where we make way for our very famous walk and talk style of dialogue. Aaron Sorkin and the West Wing kind of popularized the walk and talk. Yeah. Because when you're dealing with shows that are like cop shows, legal shows. Procedural shows of any kind. Medical shows. They all have to have these huge information dumps for the story Mm -hmm. and that can get boring watching a lot of people sit around and talk it takes time so in like in the case of cop shows and lawyer shows we usually get like a fancy powerpoint 
yeah. or something like that. But with these political shows and the medical shows, we usually get the walk and talk. I feel like it gets a little messy. It does get a little messy because you were pointing it out when we were watching the show earlier in like, the week. where are they walking to? You, they don't really seem to have purpose sometimes. Like, when Leo and Josh do their first meet and greet walk and talk, they go like around the West Wing like twice. <laughs> <laughs> like, where are you walking to? <laughs> Obviously not your office. The stagers didn't think anyone would notice. They walked past Josh's office twice. <laughs> it is a and mess. And in both directions, it's not on the way to Leo's office. It is a mess. It is also a pilot. He, so. is, he is walking through picking up memos and stuff like that, but I, we never see him do it again. Everyone in the West Wing this morning is in a tizzy over many different things. So we've got a band full of Cuban migrants who have webbed themselves together with these homemade rafts and said, bye bye Cuba, and are on their way just floating to Miami. They are refugees. Like, the DEA's worried they have drugs, and the White House is like, calm down. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, and so... Cool we, it with the racism over there. We have the president riding his bike into a tree while on vacation in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And we've got Josh. We have Josh's performance yesterday morning on the television program Capital Beat, in which he insulted a large sect of the Christian right. <laughs> it's amazing. And it's amazing. It, in this liberal democratic White House, we have, as you say, stepped in it. <laughs> because Josh is a senior counselor to the president and a very prominent Democrat. Bartlett wants to fire Josh. Yeah. But Leo's trying to talk him down. And which you're like, when you after you've watched the show for a while, you're like, wow. If you think about everything they went through before. And everything they went after. Which you, which you learn about, of course, throughout watching the series. But, like, you're just like, wow, he was considering firing him over that? At the beginning. So much other whack shit happens with Josh <laughs> that does not get him fired. The Christmas episode? I know. Oh, my God. I, you know that line you don't cross with the president? Yeah. Look behind you. Oh. <laughs> He tells Josh, he's like, you know what? You can't dump Republicans into the same pile and label them all stupid. We need these people. We not need these Josh, people. we need Al Caldwell. We want Al Caldwell. We do not need John Van Dyke. We do not need Mary Marsh. Well, I think there shouldn't be instant replay in football, but that's not my call now, is it? It was stupid. Damn straight. And that's just one of my favorite things about this show is that it encourages decorum and teamwork and respect for the other side of the aisle, even though the other side of the aisle can be categorically wrong. Like, sometimes the other side just doesn't have a side. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? But these people, these staffers still want to treat their political opponents with a level of dignity and respect. And another thing is, you know, there are a lot of ugly Republicans portrayed in the West Wing. Oh, yeah. But, like, there are some really great Republicans portrayed in the West Wing. Like Ainsley Hayes. Yes. We they, Obviously, she's not involved in this episode, but Ainsley Hayes is a Republican lawyer they hire on in the White House counsel's office later on. And it's it's a really it's really great seeing her transition into actually wanting to work for Bartlett. Next, we meet Mrs. Lanningham, who is one of the most cherished characters in my television history. Oh, Mr. McGarry, have they done an x-ray? Yep. Is anything broken? A $4,000 Linex titanium touring bike that I swore I'd never lend anyone. I don't understand. How did He's he... a klutz, Mrs. Landingham. Your president's a geek. Mr. McGarry, you know how I feel about that kind of talk in the Oval Office. I apologize. Just in this room, Mr. McGarry, is all I'm asking. Yes. She's the sweetest, most proper old lady in the world. I love her. She is executive secretary to the president of the United States. Protect her at all costs. Mm -hmm. She is looking out for that man. 
man. If the West Wing gets attacked, she's the one that gets to press the button. Oh, no! <laughs> it's like, crash the West Wing, crash the West Wing. I love it. And she is always, it's like she's Jed's mother. A little bit. Sometimes. Uh, sometimes sister. Like, sometimes she'll get, like, gift baskets of things from, like, uh, like foreign nations or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, like, they're full of things he's not supposed to eat, like cured meats mm-hmm. and cheese. And, like, oh, the steaks. The steaks. The steaks he the got. The team from Omaha State. And she, like, literally takes the steaks out of the bag and hides them. Yeah. <laughs> I love her. This is where CJ comes to Leo in his office. And she's trying to get the skinny on what she's supposed to say to the press about the day. Events. Is there anything I can say other than the president rode his bicycle into a tree? He hopes never to do it again. Seriously, they're laughing pretty hard. He rode his bicycle into a tree, CJ. What do you want me? The president, while riding a bicycle on his vacation in Jackson Hole, came to a sudden arboreal stop. What do you want from me? A little love, Leo. Leo doesn't think it's a big deal, but <laughs> CJ's like, this is my job, dude. Like, I've got to learn how to control this. The press secretary has to learn how to spin everything. Yeah, that's the thing. CJ is always in this super precarious position where she has to know things because she has to tell the press something when they ask her questions. Mm -hmm. But they can't tell her too much or she won't be able to tell the truth and say she doesn't know. You know what I mean? She has a lot of great nice try moments. Yeah, no. (laughs) When the press is trying to get her to say something she shouldn't say. (laughs) (laughs) What I love about this conversation about the Cuban refugees in Leo's office is how we're starting to see what everyone's role is in the rapport they Mm -hmm. all have together. Exactly. Can I give you some notes and then you can either agree or disagree? I'll comment. Yes, I'll comment. Josh's role is to just say whatever the hell is on his mind and let that be the springboard for the entire conversation. The deputy chief of staff is very involved in policy. CJ, if one of these guys could throw a split-fingered fastball, we'd send in the USS Eisenhower. That's not entirely true. for God's sake, forget about the journey, okay? The voyage is not our problem. What's our problem? What to do when the Nina, the Pinta, and the get me the hell out of here hit Miami. Toby's role is usually to interrupt, criticize, and correct. Well, Toby, as communications director, is in charge of the entire public message of the White House. Yeah, so I could see where he's he like... He is like the policymaker. He's like, he's the one in charge of like how we use our words and how those words form policy. Very important. <laughs> yes. Very, very important. Very, very, very important. And of course, Sam's his deputy on that. Yeah, Sam, I love Sam because he's usually the person who's like, now wait a sec, guys, what about this? Like, he's often the person bringing up the unobvious factors in a given situation. Can't send him back. They go to jail, they're lucky. We'll get whacked in one. At least three congressional district, Dade County. Those seats are gone. Not to mention the fact that it's wrong. Plus that. Sam is also a very prominent Democrat. I think about the age of these people and how young they actually are. Like, at least at the time. Isn't there some stupid adage where it's like, if you're a Republican before 30, you don't have a heart. If you're a Democrat after 30, you don't have a brain. Yeah, or something like that. Some stupid shit like that, yeah. CJ's role is literally to stop the men from killing us all. (laughs) She's got such a level head. Let the women do the work. Like, they want to send the National Guard to meet these Cuban refugees in rowboats, and CJ is like, no, bonk! You'll create a panic situation. Yeah. When I picture her in these scenes... She's thinking about her own job. She is. (laughs) You know she is. She's like, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to have to spin that. (laughs) Like, when I picture her in these scenes, she's always got a big plastic bat, and when one of them says something stupid, she bonks them. She's the most 
senior Democrat in the White House. I love oh. it. <laughs> queen Democrat. No, this, she's the most senior female. She's the most senior female Democrat in the White House. <laughs> That's what I said. The Queen Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> and Leo is mission control. Yes. Like, he keeps them all wrangled. He keeps them focused. He keeps their shit off the president's desk. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> I lo- he's literally, like, this is a little demeaning, but he's literally, minim- he is literally middle management. Exactly. And he does it so fucking well. Because, like, they all have to spew out a bunch of jargon, and then he has to absorb that, take it to the president, and go, here it is in English. <laughs> yeah, no wah, kidding. Wah, 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 I can't believe the government's worried the Cubans have drugs. I know. They're, they're, co- they're refugees who tied in these makeshift rafts together to get away. No, yeah, remember what Josh says? He's like, they're not in boats. That's too generous to call them boats. Exactly. Like, these people are floating on wood. Donna's desk, if it floated, would look very attractive. <laughs> and, you know, Toby's the one who says, you know, you don't send the National Guard out to meet these people. You send food and you send doctors. Pat Thomas wants to call up the Guard. I should. He's right. You send in the Guard, you create a panic situation. I agree with Josh and I agree with CJ and I agree with Sam. And you know how that makes me crazy. They're running for their lives. You don't have to start a game of Red Rover with Castro, but you don't send in the National Guard. You send food and you send doctors. And it's just like, thank you. Everybody's just got such a level head. But you know, the governor of Florida is threatening to blockade the port of Miami. Oh, boy. So that they can't get there. Now we're seeing the videotape of what Josh said to get him in hot water. So... Reverend Al Caldwell is the leader of this religious coalition protecting religious freedom and family values in the United States. I think I'm on record on this podcast as having said this before, but I hate those people. (laughs) People who think they have the authority on what is moral and what is good for this country. The Reverend Caldwell is actually one of President Bartlett's friends and a religious advisor to him. Now, the fact Caldwell is evangelical Whereas Bartlett is a full-on Catholic. Yeah, but they're both very religious men. Yeah. Al Caldwell is associated with uh, these two individuals. One, uh, her name is Mary Marsh. (laughs) Yeah. Mary Marsh. She is, think of her as like a modern Phyllis Schlafly. That much more terrifying. Oh, no. I don't like it. She's just, you know, she's in that cult of domesticity, Republican motherhood shit. Ugh. And John Van Dyke, who is... Uh, I was going to call him John Lynch. I'm glad you remembered. John Van Dyke is in a group called the Lambs of God. Oh, he's associated with the Lambs of God. Yes. Okay, I've got I've got words for a- him. And so is Mary Marsh, loosely, because those groups are part of, Re- of Reverend Caldwell's group. Like of I, his coalition. I feel like these people are like one rung on the ladder above the Westboro Baptist Church. Yeah. And the soundbite that's got Josh in such trouble this morning is... None of your business. Look, it's 38 no, states. Well, I can tell you that you don't believe in any God that I pray to, Mr. Lyman. Not any God that I pray to. Lady, the God you pray to is too busy being indicted for tax fraud. <laughs> And he keeps rewinding it <laughs> yeah. and playing it back. He's like, let's watch my fuck up over and over again. <laughs> over and over and over again. And this is when Toby comes into his office to scold him. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, bend over, time for the spanking. Toby is always at an 11 because nobody around him is performing the way they want him to. I don't know if I could take direction from him. I'd laugh. I know. Because he's, he's just so funny. He's just always at an 11. And he's, selling, he's telling Josh, I am frustrated. 
that I'm trying to save your job. Yeah. He has called Mary Marsh and Al Caldwell and the rest of the family values assholes over for coffee. Yeah. And there will be speechwriters there and they're going to try and salvage this situation. Because the president does a weekly Sunday morning radio address and they're going to try and get some of, you know, these people's thoughts into the address. Like as a way of assuaging them for Josh's diss on Capitol Beat. They're trying to protect their Republican approval rating. Exactly. Because Al Caldwell is a very powerful person amongst the religious right. Reverend Caldwell got Texans to vote for Bartlett. That's crazy. Yeah. That's a lot of oil money. (laughs) Al Caldwell's friends with bad people. I think he should say so for the common good. Screw politics. How about that? You don't run social policy for this government. How about that? Toby! I'm in charge of the message around here. It's my job to tell the president that the best thing he can do from a PR standpoint is to show you the door. Toby's mad. He's no, yeah. He's like, I'm going to tell dad on you. He's like, you're very important to this administration and you're going to make me kick you out? (laughs) He's like, dumb boy, dumb Josh, bad, bad, bad. Bonk, bonk. Bonk, bonk. Toby then, on his way out, turns back and shows Josh a paper clipping. Guess who just quit Lennox Chase and six figures to work as a media consultant for Lloyd Russell? Oh, is it an old flame, perhaps? It's an old member of the Bartlett campaign. And yes, one of Josh's old flames. Ex-girlfriend, as a matter of fact. We have to talk about Mandy. Mandy Hampton. She and Josh's thing, they're like the B-plot of this episode. A little bit. Because, like, people... Mandy's good. Mandy's good at what she does. Mandy, I'm so sick that they got rid of Mandy. Mandy is one of my favorite characters. Really? Yeah. Because I just roll my eyes whenever Mandy is on screen. Because I feel like when it came to Mandy in the writer's room... No one was much interested in making sure Mandy had any kind of development or was eager to make her mesh well with the rest of these characters. But she's such a brilliant political strategist. Like, I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like... Bartlett hired her for a reason. I feel like they sold that character short because she just disappears after season one. And... You know, yeah, the writers and the actress just kind of decided it wasn't working out. And yeah, they just quietly disposed of her. Like the last season ends and you never see her again and they never mention her again. I feel like from the beginning, we're primed to hate Mandy as an audience because she's she may be a former Bartlett staffer. But now she's on the other side. Now she's on the other side. She's not part of the cast as we're getting to know them right now Mm -hmm. as a team. So she's always got this out. And she's also Josh's ex. Yeah. So she's like a perpetual outsider in all aspects. And I hate the way I hate the way that she's wearing a beret and recklessly driving while on her turn. Turn of the century cell phone. Yeah. And like she gets pulled over by a cop and she cannot even be bothered to hang up this phone. You're misinterpreting me and you're misinterpreting the senator and it's Bush League reporting and it's beneath even your nose. You know you ran a red light back there. Bruce, please. You hustle me like this one to make you cry like a girl. License and registration, please. License and registration now, please. Listen, I'm under arrest. I'm going to have to call you back, Bruce. I just love that she hangs up that phone and as she opens her mouth, the scene cuts. (laughs) (laughs) Like, we don't get to hear that explanation. So now we're at lunch with Mandy and Josh, the ex-lovers. Yes. And I hate, I resent the way this scene begins because Aaron, I don't care who you are, I refuse to believe that young women in Washington walk up to White House staffers like they're Bon Jovi. Yeah, and ask for their autograph. Yeah, and ask for their autograph. Like, I'm sorry, there's no way, not a single deputy chief of staff in American history has ever been paparazzi. And you can't make me believe 
it's Josh. Yeah, like it's not it's not Josh. Sam, maybe. Like all throughout the show, Donna makes jokes that girls are always just in love with Josh, and there's fan sites on the newly budding internet about Josh, which also <laughs> newly budding internet. Oh, that's right. The words newly budding internet. Because you know, this is 99. Oh my god, they built that website with HTML. Yeah. And HTML alone, Mandy is telling him to nut up or shut up and apologize because he's going to lose his job. Yeah, and... She's like the third person to tell him this. She also knows him very well. Please, Mandy. It's not like these people were in our camp to begin with. That's right, Josh. And they've been waiting for you to trip over your mouth and you handed it to them. It's Christmas morning for Mary Marsh. Do what Toby's telling you to do. She's going on and on and on about all these reasons why he should just get over himself. And then the only thing he takes away from that is that she called Lloyd by his first name. Did she just call him Lloyd? You're dating <laughs> Lloyd Russell. And she just goes, yes. <laughs> like, she, like she wasn't going to lie. But that's none of his goddamn business. So she's dating her new boss. That's like, always That always works out good in Washington. Oh, man. <laughs> The C-plot of this episode involves Sam switching pagers with Lori and also with uh, Leo's daughter's class. <laughs> Sam's assistant, I, th- I think it's Bonnie. I, 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 Kathy. I, Kathy, it's Kathy. Kathy comes up to him and she's like, listen, Leo's wife called. She was supposed to lead a tour of the White House with her daughter's second grade class. Mm-hmm. And she has other things to do. Yeah, like being mad at Leo. Yeah, like being mad at Leo. She's always mad at Leo. Because Leo's never home because he's running the American government 24-7. But she's trying to push the tour off on Sam. Yeah. Sam, who despite being the deputy communications director, knows nothing about the White House. And so, like, while she's asking him to do this, his pager goes off. And he calls the number on the pager back. Cashmere Escorts. Hi, you page me? Who is this? This is Sam Seaborn. I'm sorry, there's been a mistake. Who's this? Cashmere Escort Service. Okie doke. <laughs> and he, I think that's when it clicks in his head. He switched pagers with Lori. He goes, page me. Kathy's like, what? He goes, I'm standing right here, page me. <laughs> And so she does. She gets on the phone, does it, and his page is the pager doesn't ring. That kind of means, folks, that Lori works for the escort service. Yes, yes. Put a pin in that. We'll come back to it in just a moment. Now we're with Leo and the Reverend Al Caldwell. Here we go. That guy that Josh insulted on television. Listen, Al Caldwell seems like a good enough man. It's just he's associating with bad people. Why does he insist on demonizing us as a group? Because your group has plenty of demons. Every group has plenty of demons. You don't have to tell me about it, Reverend. I'm a member of the Democratic Party. Thank I, you. I love a show that's not afraid to take pot shots at itself. I know. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's it's the thing. That's what Sorkin's done here. He's like, listen, I'm a bleeding heart pompous elitist. <laughs> At least but I'm we... not above taking shots at myself to get people to watch this. I know, right? You know. This is where I realized that this episode really does make a long business of introducing you to President Josiah Bartlett. Yes. Like we hear a lot about him and like but we never see him. We just hear a lot about him what he believes in, what kind of politician he is, what kind of man he is. Well, you know, the original you know, format of the show was that Bartlett was not going to be a character. Really? Bartlett was going to be a very recurring character. Oh, wow. Not even part of the billing. Uh Uh-huh. Wow. Because Martin Sheen was like, yeah, I'll do your 
pile on <laughs> And then he liked it so much, he was like, can I be Bartlett like the whole time? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting that they've done this because not only does it build suspense for his entrance at the end of the episode, mm-hmm. because it's a great way to prime the audience. And most importantly, you establish through these scenes with his staffers that even though we haven't met him, we see these people who bend over backwards to keep his administration functioning. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they would sacrifice so much of their personal lives and their personal dignity really tells you what kind of man they believe him to be. Yeah. And that he's a leader worth going to the mat for. Mm. So I just love that. This is one of the best... I'm gonna cry. Uh, No, please don't cry. I'm gonna cry. (laughs) This is one of the best pilots of television I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And that's part of it. So Sam goes back over to Lori's to switch their pagers back. And, and he's like, so you're a hooker. No, don't use that horrible word. Well, we shouldn't, but that's what he's like. That's what he says. He uses the word hooker. She's an escort. She's a sex worker. Like, don't call her a hooker. It's I, 1999. She's I, a hooker. Uh, stop. I'm sorry. That's what it is. Um, can I ask you something? Am I a hooker? No, no. What I was going to say is this, is is it possible that in addition to being a law student and part-time bartender that you are what, what I'm certain would have to be a very high-priced call girl? I, by the way, I'm making no judgments. The thing is with my job... She's also a peach about this. I know. She's like, Sam, I get it. You never heard of me. Like, there was obviously a miscommunication, but Sam didn't break any laws. He so didn't. And, like, but there are still people who would use that she against him. She wanted to have sex with him. Yeah, she sure did. <laughs> and, like, it's just, it, it. she just lets all of this roll off her back. Yeah. It's like, I get it. It's probably not the first time it's happened to her. And I hate that for her. Yeah. She'll become more prevalent as the series goes along, if y'all decide you want to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> So he rushes back to the White House, and Leo's daughter's class tour is ha- is waiting for him in, where are they? The Roosevelt Room. Right. They're waiting for him in the Roosevelt Room. Teddy Roosevelt built the West Wing. Not by himself, but like, <laughs> he was, his administration was the one that actualized the West Wing. He's like, God damn it, there's too many fucking people in my house. We're building another part of the building. <laughs> To keep all those fuckers in. We meet teacher Mallory O'Brien. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's very lovely. She is lovely. She's very smart, very funny. Mm-hmm. And she. She's... Why isn't she working for Bartlett? Because she is a school teacher. God bless school teachers. Yes. The unsung heroes of the world. Absolutely. Sam comes into the Roosevelt room and he's looking around completely moon faced. He has no idea where to start. She goes, Mr. Seaborn, why don't you start with some history? And he goes, <laughs> Sure. I graduated from Princeton (laughs) and then on to Harvard Law. Not your personal history, Sam. No, 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 no. Sir, history about the White House. You want to hear history about the White House. Yes, Sam. That's why we're here. All of these students wrote the best essay about why they wanted to visit the White House. And this was the prize. Yes. And they get Sam as the prize. I feel bad for these kids. (laughs) He gets up there and he just fucks up. I know. The room we're in uh, right now, the Roosevelt Room, is very famous. It is named after our 18th president, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. The chairs that you are sitting on today are fashioned from the lumber of a pirate ship captured during the Spanish-American All right, kids, I need to speak with Mr. Seaborn. Sit tight for a second. Mallory yanks him out into the hallway and says, I'm sorry, but are you You a moron? moron? (laughs) The 18th president was Ulysses S. Grant, and the Roosevelt Room was named for Theodore. Really? 
There's like a six-foot painting on the wall of Teddy Roosevelt. I should have put two and two together. Yes. The thing is, while there really are a great many things on which I can speak with authority, I'm not good at talking about the White House. You're the White House Deputy Communications Director, and you're not good at talking about the White House? Ironic, isn't it? I love Mallory. <laughs> she does not care who this man works for. She's going to give him the riot act. I love it. And he dem- he is he is at his breaking point. He's like, listen, can you tell me which one of those kids is my boss, Leo McGarry's daughter? And she's like, why would that matter? And he's like, because it would go a really long way to making my life easier. Now, would you please, in the name of compassion, tell me which one of those kids is my boss's daughter? That would be me. You? Yes. Leo's daughter's fourth grade class. Yes. Well, this is bad on so many levels. <laughs> like, you fucking idiot. I can't believe you're regarded as one of the smartest people in the world and working for the leader of the free world. She's the teacher, Sam. God. She's not in the class. Did he think that Leo had a daughter in second grade? His line, oh, this is bad on so many levels. <laughs> so many levels. Like, Leo, Leo is visibly a gargoyle. Yeah. And Sam assumed he had a daughter in the second grade. I know. He's such it's a fool. Stupid. Um, <clears throat> I think we're here. Oh, yes, I have in all capital letters the coffee scene. (laughs) This is my favorite scene in the episode. So we are meeting with senior staff and members of the Whack Job Association in the mural room. You say Whack Job, others say Christian Extremists. Yes. So in this meeting, we have Toby, Josh, CJ, um, Al Caldwell, Mary Marsh, John Van Dyke, and a few other people. Al Caldwell starts this meeting by scolding Josh. Yes. We're off to a great start. He goes, there is a contempt for organizations promoting Christian values and moral family values in this country. And I'm like, oh, he, I was, he's so hurt. I know. They're all so hurt. I can't. I was like, we wanted to be nasty and you called us out on it. Yeah, I know. And they're mad. And like, you should apologize. And to his credit, Josh starts apologizing. I know. And I'm like, I hate that. It's a good apology. It even sounds sincere. I know. <laughs> My remarks were glib and insulting. I was going for the cheap laugh. And anybody willing to step up and debate ideas deserves better than a political punchline. Mary, I apologize. Good, then. Let's deal. Turns right to Toby and goes, all right, let's deal. Let's deal! And Toby's Toby's face just like, what? (laughs) Like, she's like, what do we get? And they want to know what kind of political clout they're going to get because Josh fucked up on national television. And, and she she literally is just like school prayer, abstinence. What do we get? They want to eliminate pornography. Yeah, pornography, take Wh- your pick. Which, first of all, the monsters want to eliminate pornography. I know. <laughs> I know. Toby starts going back and forth with Mary Marsh because Toby cannot believe it. He cannot believe that he's... They tra- have enough goodwill to apologize to these ugly people. He cannot believe that she's trying to bargain with him after he bent over backwards to get this meeting. Yeah. This whole time, CJ, the Duchess of the Middle, yeah. is sitting there going back and forth just giving everybody these pie-eyed looks. <laughs> She's like, like, shut up. Yeah. You don't know what you're doing. I'm going to have to tell someone about this later. Mary knows she's got their balls in a vice, and she pops off. It was only a matter of time with you, Josh. Yeah. That New York sense of humor was just a little Mary, bit. Reverend, no please, need. they think they're so much smarter. They think it's smart talk, but nobody else does. I'm actually from Connecticut, but that's neither here nor there. The, the, the point is, Mary, I... She meant Jewish. What she said, New York sense of humor. She was talking about you and me. You know what, Toby, let's not even go there. 
oof, Mary with the anti-Semitism. Yeah, and Toby's like, I'm not going to take that lying down. Oh, no. New York sense of humor. You meant Jews. And Mary's like, clutching her pearls like what and like, he's like mary mary does not let that go like the other men try to move on and she won't move on <laughs> josh is like i'm actually from connecticut but like <laughs> i don't like what i've just been accused of i'm afraid that's just tough mrs marsh well if the armband fits mrs marsh right like for crying out loud i, I hate her i don't like what i've just been accused of but like what of being an anti-semite yeah like sorry lady and then john van dyke wants to move on from that <laughs> And he goes, we hear a lot about the Bill of Rights coming out of this administration, but nothing about the commandments. And Toby's rolling his eyes eternally. Yeah. And I love this next bit because this is what takes us into the introduction of the president. Yes. Toby, the Jewish person, is correcting the Christians about the commandments. The first commandment says, honor thy father. No, it doesn't. Toby, it doesn't. No, if I'm going to make you sit through this preposterous exercise, we're going to get the names of the damn commandments right. Okay, here we go. Honor thy father is the third commandment. Then what's the first commandment? I am the Lord your God. Thou shalt worship no other God before me. Boy, those were the days, huh? Guys, it's Jed! Guys, Jed is here! President Bartlett, Martin Sheen. At like 38 minutes into this 42-minute episode. (laughs) I am the Lord your God. Thou shalt not worship any other God before me. He goes... (laughs) Boy, those were the days, huh? (laughs) That is one of the greatest first lines of dialogue for a main character in television. Martin Sheen is not a large presence physically. No. He's a very short man. He's our Hobbit president. He is our Hobbit president. (laughs) Oh, I love him so much. I do. I love him. He's very short, very amiable. He has that New England crisp accent. Yes, yes. Yeah. He's not exactly an imposing presence, but he does endear himself to the people in the room. He always treats everybody with dignity and respect until they show him lack of respect. Immediately, Jed looks at them and just by looking at them, he knows what rock they live under. Yeah. like, And he does not like that they are in his White House. Yeah. Because they're extremists. He goes, you know Mary Marsh? How do you do? And he goes, you know John Van Dyke? And he goes, hmm. Like, barely shakes his hand. (laughs) And it's like, why don't we all sit down? No, CJ, let's not do that. (laughs) These people won't be staying that long. And so we go into this piece where basically Jed is going to turn their hypocrisy back on them. Do it. He turns to Al and he goes, how many times have I asked you to denounce the people from the Lamb of God church or whatever? He is like, Al. How many times have I asked you to denounce the practices of a fringe group that calls itself the Lambs of God? Sir, that's not up to me. Crap, it is up to you, Al. And, like, he goes into this explanation of why he ran into this tree. Why why he made this arboreal stop. (laughs) He ran into this tree on the bicycle because he was upset. He's upset because his granddaughter... Annie. Annie, she's only 12 years old. She gave an interview to, like, a teen magazine. Uh Uh-huh. And somehow, I don't know how at all... What 12-year-old is getting asked about abortion rights? She... Comments on her thoughts about a woman's right to choose. Mm-hmm. Now, I love my family, and I've read my Bible from cover to cover, so I want you to tell me, from what part of Holy Scripture do you suppose the lambs of God drew their divine inspiration when they sent my 12-year-old granddaughter a Raggedy Ann doll with a knife stuck through its throat? 
Ooh. These animals sent a 12-year-old a doll with a knife in its this throat. Is, these are John Van Dyke's people. Like, yeah, the, the man that's like, well, what about the first commandment? Yeah. That like, asshole. I don't remember the book of Matthew saying, suffer the little children and send them threatening omens through the mail. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I don't remember that. And so dad gets mad. <laughs> dad gets mad real fast. You'll denounce these people, Al. You'll do it publicly. And until you do, you can all get your fat asses out of my White House. CJ, show these people out. I believe we can find the door. Find it now. Oh, Whoa. he's got that warden quality to him. President Bartlett is mad. Like, he doesn't raise his voice, he, but you can tell, like, you're in the shit. And so he goes back on into the Oval Office, and then Josh is, like, tickled because <laughs> he thought he would be the reason this whole thing melted down, and it was so Toby, was who so just Toby. this morning was berating him for getting smart with Mary Marge. I just look, because Toby's like, she called us New York Jews, Josh. Yeah. I don't know what yet. Well, I'm from Connecticut, so I <laughs> It don't didn't mind. hurt me as bad. Good morning, Mr. President. How's the leg, Mr. Yeah, President? They're all filing and joking with each other into the Oval Office, and Jed's just behind the desk and he's fussing papers and shit and he goes good morning mr president that was our morning mr president he's like all right folks time to get back to work yeah he's like i think we've all been taking a little bit of a break he was on vacation he was and he was like which by the way who goes to jackson hole wyoming remember he's a national park nut oh that's right he's been to every single one of them <laughs> i bet that's not the first arboreal stop he's ever come not, to maybe not <laughs> He grabs this piece of intelligence off his desk about the Cuban refugees. This is what plays when you hover over West Wing on Netflix. With the clothes on their back, they came through a storm. And the ones that didn't die want a better life than they want it here. Talk about impressive. My point is this. Breaks over. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. As he's giving this speech, I'm just slowly rising and putting my hand on my heart. And saluting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because God, I just love Talk this. about impressive. They want a better life and they want it here. And I'm like, it's a good reflection of how it should be done. You know what I mean? I, I want to cry. Because that's what this country is supposed to be about. Bring us your tired, your poor, your hungry. Those yearning to breathe free. Yeah. Like creating a better world for everyone, where everyone can come here and have their dream, their better life, regardless of where they come from. And the dialogue about brown people coming to this country has never been positive in my lifetime. Never. That is literally fiction to me. It is fiction. To hear a president speak that way yeah. about immigrants who want to come here and make a new life for themselves. I mean, you've got Obama, but even then, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It was never dealt with. He never dealt with it. He, what are you saying? That Obama was evasive? I mean, you have the Dreamers, or the Dream Act. You have that. DACA, the, yeah. To, to protect, you know migrant children who were born here. Right. They're not even migrant children. They're Americans. And I just love the way... Mrs. Th Lanningham. Mrs. Lanningham, what's next? Governor Thomas and the Majority Leader have asked...
That's Jed's thing. He's always, what's next? I love that. Uh-huh. I love like, that. Let's get the business of government done today so we can do more tomorrow. Like, listen, that 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 ended sooner than I wanted it to. I know, right? <laughs> if I'm being very honest. Yeah. Like, you know, we just, th- this is not the way we're going to approach every show that we do. Mm-hmm. But, like... This I felt like this was a special case this week. Of course it was. Because of course it was. We are on the brink of something incredible. Tomorrow we do a momentous thing. And there has never been more people to do it in this nation's history. Like interest in voting is at historical new highs. Yeah, the voter apathy is honestly so it's just so rampant and the fat and I sometimes I find myself not even blaming them. I understand. I, I it's just when you vote year after year, nothing ever really seems to change. Like why play the game when you know it's probably rigged? And guys, the thing about the two-party system and the electoral college, it's just they're both horrible realities that we have to deal with within the system because there's literally no other way to accomplish it that is accessible to us. The only like you say, why should I even vote? And I understand that not a single vote in American history in a presidential election has ever really counted because there is the existence of the Electoral College who have the last say in who the president is. And five times, Donald Trump included, they have had to make the decision of appointing the person president who has not won the election. Assuming we never get rid of the two-party system or the electoral college. It's going to be hard. It's going to be very hard. they, They would both be very hard, but it could be done. But assuming that that never happens, this show just in a lot of ways feels like, you know, it can be preachy. It can be very matter of fact. Like, what do these people really know about running a government? Like, these are a bunch of television writers, Mm -hmm. right? But at the same time, it still sets a lot of tones for, like, the way the way leadership in general should be. A place of empathy and compassion, dignity and integrity. President Bartlett always says decisions are made by those who show up. We have to show up and vote for the government we want to see. Exactly. And the thing is, guys, no matter what happens tomorrow... It's going to be bad. You say tomorrow, like, we may not know for several days. We may not, but, guys, it's going to be bad either way. We are just going to have to brace for impact. If you have not already voted, we really are praying for you and that we hope tomorrow goes smoothly for you in terms of you getting to and from your polling place safely and being able to vote safely. Take snacks, take a book. You're going to be in line a long time. And people will try to intimidate you. Do not allow them to. Make sure you get your ballot in. And once you've performed your civic duty, if you're just desperate for more escapism, you can check out The West Wing on Netflix. Absolutely you can. Absolutely you can. And a whole manner of other we- a whole manner of other Aaron Sorkin projects. HBO is having a West Wing reunion right now. Yeah, they just did one. They just they just filmed the uh West they did they recreated the episode called Hartsfield's Landing. They did it on stage with all the original actors. Like it's a play. It's a fiction. It's a it's It's about this episode is about this fictional town in New Hampshire called Hartsfield's Landing, where ceremonially they are the first people to vote in the U.S. election every two years. Really? Yeah. And yeah, everybody who's still alive, they're back to reprise their roles. Guys, there's so many complex issues that the United States is dealing with today. And 
the one thing that I can appreciate that this series gives to me is the realization that a lot of what we were taught about our government growing up is kind of a fiction. It only exists for me in the West Wing anymore. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> only fictional governments now. Yeah, seriously. The polls look great, but polls are not official anything. You can't look at a poll and go, oh, he'll, he'll win. I don't need to go do anything. Yes, you do. Take yourself some time, maybe watch some West Wing, maybe feel a little bit better. You know, it's, it's you're right. It's good escapism. It's definitely good escapism for me. And I got to tell you, if tomorrow goes sideways, I, I might have to curl up in the West Wing for a little while. Guys, stay focused on what's important. Stay focused on what's in front of you. Either way, if it does turn out badly tomorrow or in the next few days or whatever, you'll know where to go from there mentally. Remember like a year ago when you said that, you know, you thought 2020 was going to be a great year? Yeah, I know. That piece of audio aged poorly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Lord. All um, right, guys, we won't keep you any longer. We appreciate you trying this little stint on television out with us. Uh, give us some pointers if you want. We, Of course, we always like to hear from you guys. Yeah, we're really not sure how we want to do television. Yeah, it's hard for us to figure out. It's it's a rough format to cover, but we want to, and we want to do more of it in the future. Uh, the, the factors are time and content. <laughs> yeah. Because there is a lot of time to these pieces of content. All right, let's get thee to the voting box, shall we? Yes. Let's go! Guys, we're done with all of the voting propaganda. And we're done with, we, we just, of course, wrapped up Spooky Month for you. For November, we're just going to be hitting some titles that we've been wanting to do for a long time. Yeah. And that we would like to just get out of the way before the holiday season. Just some fun things. Ross suggested that we do a super old favorite, 13 going on 30. I like Jennifer Garner and I like that movie, okay? <laughs> Sue me. Does it make you feel young again? It's fun. <laughs> it's really fun. I used to watch that movie a lot as a kid. Oh, my God. So look out for that next week, guys. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at kickingandstreamingpodcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And in addition to practicing the three R's, rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet. Also check out the show notes for information on voting. I'm going to have some links so y'all can check out the voting information for your state, where you are. It's never been more important. More quality content coming to you from Kicking and Streaming. Until then, I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And as always, vote! vote!